Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the middle of the chapter, uh, verses 46 through 56, and as you're turning there, just kind of want to reorient us. Obviously, we have, through our liturgy, we've lit the candles, we are celebrating Advent. Uh, along with the church worldwide, uh, the church around the world uh, comes together and celebrates this season. It's actually the beginning of the season. I should say Happy New Year, because this is a new year. <laughs> uh, we The church celebrates its new year. When we look back to uh, especially the prophets, and especially just the, not only the Old Testament, but just the time leading up to the birth of Christ, when, when there was this sense of expectation. There was this sense of longing. There was this sense of this desire for Christ, the promised Messiah, to come into the world. But it was also a lot of unknown. <laughs> the, the word Advent literally comes from the, the Latin word, which means arrival, Right? It's like going on that long trip. You ever go on a long trip and you just kind of can't wait to get there, to arrive at your destination? That feeling of just desire to get to where you want to be. And if you're parents, you have those kids in the back. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Maybe you feel that in your own heart. Asking God, there's where I want to be, but I'm not there yet. I know a lot of us right now, especially, uh, conversations that I've had with many of you, even I myself, uh, are in what I would call a, um, a season of the unknown. Raise your hand if you're in a season of the unknown. <laughs> yeah, that's just like I thought. Season of the unknown, where you're in a place, and you don't know what's going to happen next. And really, to be honest, that's a lot of life, is it not? You're in a place, and you don't really know what's going to happen next. You don't know what it's going to look like. And actually, that's really where God meets us. So many stories in Scripture, even the, the story of the birth of Christ that we're getting ready to prepare is about God coming to us in the unknown, where we don't know what's going to happen. And really what I want to invite you to do, we're going to spend the next few moments looking at Mary in particular, looking at her experience when she heard this news from the angel that she was going to be with child and what that meant for her. Because sometimes we kind of skip over it and we just kind of think, oh, isn't that really cool? Isn't that really beautiful? She gave birth to Jesus. But what, what was she experiencing? What was she thinking? What was going through her heart and her mind? And let me just kind of, uh, it, I'm not going to read this, but if, if Luke 1 kind of gives us a little bit of that in the background. We know that Mary was not expecting to be pregnant, right? This was news to her. She was not expecting to hear that she was pregnant. And that culture at the time, (laughs) she was a teenage girl. She was not only a teenage girl, she was not married yet. She had her boyfriend, Joseph. So there were a lot of questions surrounding her life. Would Joseph leave her? Would she lose the man that she loves? Would he leave her? Not only would he leave her, would she lose her own life? Would she be put to death because of the disgrace that she had brought on? She was at risk of losing the man she loved. She was at risk of losing her own life. And we find out right now, she's just received this news, and she's scared. Imagine how scared she is. Teenage, a teenage girl finding out she's pregnant. Imagine how scared she must have been. And what does she do? She goes on a journey. <laughs> she goes on a journey to meet a woman named Elizabeth, who was also with child, John the Baptist. And she goes on this journey, and... We, 
find her with Elizabeth in the midst of her suffering, in the midst of all this unknown that's going on in her life. And she sings a song of joy. (laughs) She sings a song of joy, a teenage girl who is pregnant and who's scared to death, who has no idea what this is going to mean for her or for her life. She sings a song of joy. And so I want us to look at that. I want us to look at this song together, and I want us to kind of learn from it, learn how we can, in our own season of the unknown, hear this song of joy, and really take on this truth that no matter where you are in life, no matter what unknown season you're going through, you can have joy. You can have joy. Do you believe that? Let's look at Mary. Let's look at this, uh, this song is called The Magnificat. She has just met with Elizabeth. She's visiting with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, as if you remember the story, the child in her womb had leapt for joy upon their meeting. And then verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary breaks out into song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I'm at Luke 1, verse 46 and 47. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is, those for, the, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. What a, what a gift that you give us your word. Not so that we might follow the rules that you give us, but so that we might experience your mercy. So that we might meet you in the pages of scripture. Father, thank you so much that you, your love is so great and so vast and so wide and so deep for us that you would, would show us, not only show us, <laughs> but that you would become one of us in the person of Jesus. Jesus, we praise you that you have become one of us, that you have loved us so much that you decided to experience the pain and the suffering of our world, to experience the brokenness, to experience the unknown, that you limited yourself in the form of a person, even the form of a baby. Lord, we desire that you would come into our lives and come into our world. We cry out, come Lord Jesus. Would you come and even now, would you come and inhabit your word? Spirit, inhabit your word. We pray that, Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that receive this good news with faith and with joy. 
We pray that your word will be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want you to think about a, a, something I just asked a lot of you if you're in a season of the unknown, and many of you are. Whether you're in a season of the unknown, or whether you're in a season of disappointment, or maybe you're in a season of where you're really experiencing the brokenness. The brokenness of the world is just bearing down on you. Maybe that's where all of us could probably say that in some form or fashion. Um, and I want my, the news that I want to give to you from Luke chapter 1, the, news that I, the example that I see in Mary is that you can have joy. You can have joy in the midst of your suffering. That's what Advent actually is really pointing us towards. Because so often we think, oh, if I just can kind of get to where I need to be, then I can be happy, right? If I can just kind of get rid of all these barriers and hurdles in my life, then happiness will come, then joy will come. That's not what the scriptures actually teach us. <laughs> they teach us that right now, where you are, no matter what's going on in your life, you can have joy. You can have joy. And that's what Mary is proclaiming in her song. And that's what I want this sermon. I don't mean that this sermon is going to be about joy. I know I preached a, sermon, uh, a mini sermon series on Philippians. We looked at joy. It's just all throughout the scriptures. Sorry. It's just, so, it's just there. And so I want to look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 1 here. And I don't want to give you steps to, like, be joyful. That's the last thing I want to do. Because that's not what, Christ, that's not what Christianity is about, right? It's not about getting steps to become joyful. You don't have to escape your reality to have joy. So often we think if we can just kind of get, kind of escape. So often we think so much about that. That's what other religions teach sometimes, but that's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches you that you can have joy in the midst of your suffering. This is what Mary's song is about. And joy isn't so much about the present circumstances, is it not? Certainly you can have a measure of joy in the present moment. But we all know that even those moments of joy are fleeting, and so often we're either reaching back and we're having nostalgia for those moments that we've had, or we're kind of looking for something in the future. We're trying to either grab back at the moments of joy that we've had in the past, or we're trying to look forward to some moments of joy that we could possibly have, and it becomes this elusive thing that we can't really hold on to. Maybe we have it for a moment, Maybe we can grab it. Maybe we can have it for a moment, put it on. But it can be like that and it's gone. But what I want to explore with you today is a lasting joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit that's going to come from simply doing this, simply looking at God. Simply looking at God. A lasting joy that is a fruit of the Spirit that comes from looking at God and how He acts especially toward the problems in the world, especially towards the suffering in the world, especially towards you and your own pain and your own brokenness. That's what Mary's song is about, actually. She rejoices in her Savior and what he has done for her and for her people. I'm going to say that again. Mary's song is about her rejoicing in her Savior not her circumstances, she's rejoicing in her Savior who is in her womb <laughs> and what he has done for her, peop for her and for, for his people. So here's what I want to take the next few moments to do. I want to uh, take the next few moments as an exercise of joy. 
by looking at God as we let the content of this song kind of wash over you. Even now, even now, let's, let's have this be an exercise of joy. Like, I'm going to look at this in kind of three different parts of the song, and I just want to look at the song together with you. And really, songs are not for analyzing, they're for singing, right? <laughs> we're not meant to analyze songs, we're meant to sing them, and I know later on we're going to have a song. Um, but I, I, want to, uh, I want to invite you just to look at these lyrics with me that Mary sings. So let's, let's, and as we're doing that, we're really looking with Mary at God, okay? So let's do that together for the next few moments. So let's look back together at verse 48. Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Some translations actually have this where uh, when God looks at Mary, it says he looks at with favor. It's actually a, a word that Luke loves to use a lot, that phrase, that with favor. God looks with favor. What does it mean for somebody to look with favor at somebody else? It's one of his, I, I love this phrase. It's such a great phrase. It's a great phrase because it's true. <laughs> it's actually true of who God is. Do you believe that God looks upon you with favor? That's really the critical thought of where joy is going to come from. Do you believe that he looks at you with favor? Or do you think he looks at you with disappointment? Oh, he just messed up again. She messed up again. He did, didn't do what I asked him to do. The truth is that God looks at you with favor. He looks with favor upon all that he's made. And he looks at, with favor because he wants you and he wants me and he wants this world to flourish. And if, if we can't hold on to this truth at the foundation of who God is and who we are, then we're going to miss the whole thing. We'll miss the whole point, the whole gospel. Because the truth is, is that God loves you and he wants you to flourish. He wants you to experience his love. And he simply loves you because you exist. He loves you because you exist. I wanted to read a quote from G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy. Let me put this up on the, on the screen here. You can follow along with me. G.K. Chesterton is reflecting on this idea of who God is in creation. He says, Because children have this abounding vitality, because they are in, in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, Do it again! And the grown-up person does it again and is nearly dead. How many of you parents have done that, right? Do it again, Dad. Do it again, Mom. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately. But he has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? This idea that God absolutely delights in creating. That he delights in making you. Every morning when you wake up, 
and you take that first breath and you, t- you open your eyes, that echo is true. That echo of Genesis 1, it is good, it is good, it is very good that you are alive. Do you hear that echo? That God rejoices over you in singing? Parents, have you ever, for those of parents of you, do you remember when your child was born and you got to see them for the first time and you went, maybe even they, they were taken away and then you got to go kind of see them through that window? Maybe they were, you know, they were taken away in the room where you, where you could see them. And, and the, the joy that you had in seeing that newborn child, that's, God takes that same joy in you. And friends, I invite you to believe that, to believe that God delights in you, that he delights in his world, that he delights in all that he has made. Because so often, well, we often wonder if God really sees our problems and if he really cares about how we're doing. I know so many of you I've had conversations with, you're like, does God really see what's going on in my life? Does he really care? And so often we can interpret God and how he feels about us based on the events in our lives, right? If things are going well, then God must have favor toward us, right? If things are not going well, then God must not really like us. It's the Santa Claus theology. <laughs> if you're do, like, not only like if things are going well, but if, if I'm doing well, if I'm obeying, if I'm a good kid, if I'm a good person, then I'll get good gifts, and if I'm bad, then I won't get good gifts, right? That's the Santa Claus theology. Listen, I love Santa Claus, right? I'm a big fan, right? Any fans of Santa Claus? But that's, that's not how God works. That's not how God operates. We will never really understand that God sees us in our suffering unless we first know that he delights in us and wants us to flourish. So, yes, he sees you. He looks with favor upon you, even in your suffering. And that's what's really important, because when you come to the unknown in your life, when you come to the pain in your life, the brokenness in your life, it's critical that you know that God delights in you, that wants, he wants good for you, that he wants you to flourish. Mary continues to sing. Let's look at the, the next few verses here. He says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So here's what I think, this, here's what kind of washes over me when I, when I hear that song. God not only delights in your existence, but he also takes delight in doing great things for you because of who he is. He delights in in doing great things for you, especially in showing you mercy. God, it isn't a chore for God to show you mercy. So often we think it was a chore for God to send his son into this world. No. (laughs) God delights to give you his mercy. And that's the nature of, of how God relates to us. He gives us gifts, especially the gifts of mercy. He gives us gifts that he wants us to receive. His mercy is a gift, not something that you earn, not something that you can do, not anything that you can say. His mercy is a gift to you. But how are we supposed to understand His mercy as a gift in the midst of our own suffering and problems? 
That's really the part of the dilemma, right? How are we to understand and experience his mercy when we think, man, God is against me in my suffering? I'm a fan of uh, comedy. Anybody a fan of comedy? Yeah? Um, one of the guy, one of the I follow different comedians, um, watch stand up and watch uh, uh, different late shows or whatever. One of the comedians that I've grown to really love is Stephen Colbert, um, and especially watching him years ago when he transitioned, he had a, a show uh, on the Comedy Central called The Colbert Rapport, where he kind of, you know, was this sort of uh, caricature of himself. Anybody remember seeing that? And and then he transitioned where he was able to take over the Late Show on CBS. Um, and he's been interviewed numbers and numbers of times about his own sort of process and the way that he does his comedy and kind of where kind of his comedy comes from, like what it is about his comedy that's unique. And he talks about the story of his life, about, and actually he talks, goes back to where he experienced mercy from God through Christ. He gives this, he talks about this in numbers of interviews. He's actually um, a practicing Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, and one of the recurring themes that comes up when he talks about it is this theme of joy. You see, Stephen Colbert, his story, um, this was uh, from uh, Rolling Stone, um, even they, they did an article back in 2009 on him called The Subver Subversive Joy of Stephen Colbert. <laughs> the Subversive Joy of Stephen Colbert, um, where he talks about his story. His story is that he lost his dad and his two brothers in a plane crash when he was a child. And in these interviews, he talks about the devastating loss of losing his dad and his brothers. And he describes how he came to a point when he realized that he could either have gratitude, not only in the midst of his suffering, but for his suffering. Let me say that again. <laughs> Let's not miss that. He came to a point where he realized that he could have not only gratitude, not only in the midst of his suffering, but for his suffering. The fact that God had met him in his suffering. And he decided to embrace gratitude. And that's what he talks about. He actually um, decided to not only embrace gratitude, but really to take on this idea of joy. When he was, uh, when, you know, he produces and create, created this, this show, The Colbert Report, he actually calls the whole process what he calls the joy machine. From top, when when he, they create a show, he wants joy to be in every single part of the, from the writing of the show to the directing, to the producing, to the uh, execution of the show. He calls it the joy machine. He wants joy to be in every part of the show. Why? <laughs> Not because he's a comedian, but because he actually experienced the mercy of God through his own suffering and loss. I just find that to be such a, a beautiful story. This is the difference on focus, of focusing on ourselves and our own uh, suffering versus focusing on how, how God deals with it. That's what Mary shows us. Mary could have, you know, she could have gone to Elizabeth and completely commiserated, and they could have completely said, what a terrible circumstance we're in. But what we see is Mary looking at God during the, in the midst of the unknown and her suffering. Joy comes from receiving God's mercy as a gift. Joy comes from receiving God's mercy as a gift. You know, and so often, maybe if you're miserable, <laughs> when I'm miserable in my life, one sort of indication, 
question that I have to ask myself is, maybe I'm miserable because I'm focusing on my own efforts to get out of where I am. Maybe I'm miserable because it's, I'm tired and I'm exhausted because I'm trying to do it myself. When really, all we need to do is look at God. Now, I'm not trying to undermine anything that you or anybody is going through, but what I'm saying is we have a God who chooses to give us mercy in the midst of our suffering. Not only that, if we keep going here, and I'm going to get kind of use, uh, look at the last few verses of this song here, if you look back with me, uh, starting at verse 51. It says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant, Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God not only does, delights to show us mercy, but he also delights to show justice. <laughs> he is a God of love, of mercy, and of justice. He acts for you. Not only in showing you mercy for your sin, but he comes to you in the midst of your suffering. He has come to our world in the midst of its suffering, and he has answered the cries of his people. He acts for us by defeating our opposition. And in this context and in the whole context of Scripture, Israel is being oppressed by foreign rulers, and God works to overrule world rulers, to bring justice, but not just against but for. That's what, so often we think of justice as against. <laughs> no, God's justice is for. He, he wants salvation for everyone. He, that is the desire. But salvation often comes, and justice often, often comes in a backwards, upside-down kind of way. <laughs> that the humble would be released and made free. That the proud and rich would be brought down so that they can be released and made free from their own love of power and money. God wants to br bring down the humble. He wants to rise up. Sorry, he wants to bring down the prideful. He wants to rise up the humble. Yeah, needed to correct that one. And here's where I think the church in, in our context um, can really learn from, um, the, from uh, or really has forgotten that it is a minority. Just like the people of God in Israel were a minority. But not everybody's forgotten that. Here's where I think we can follow the leadership of the Afri African American church who understands what it is like to be oppressed, to be oppressed and what God's salvation means for the oppressed and for the powerful. I think there's such a rich history of African American spiritual music especially, filled with lament and joy. Alan Dwight Callahan, he's a scholar and commentator on African American spirituality, explains what this means for African-American Christianity, particularly in regards to the song of Mary and who Mary is. And here's what he, in, in one of his writings, he calls Mary the suffering mother of the suffering Jesus. That's how the, that's how the black church sees Mary. <laughs> the suffering mother of the suffering Jesus. Parents, you know what it's like to suffer when your children suffer, right? When your children are in pain, 
you're in pain. <laughs> and that's what we see. That's what I feel like we can learn from, from our brothers and sisters in the black church where they call Mary the suffering mother of the suffering Jesus. She is the one who experiences the pain and suffering, but who bears out new life into the world. Friends, as I close, I, wanna, um, I was reading uh, an article in Christianity Today um, actually about um, Bono, uh, U2. Uh, um, and Bono was talking about, it, actually he just came out with, um, uh, with a, a, a book of his own, and in that book he was talking about, it called Surrender, and in that book he was talking about kind of his own, the way he kind of grew up and he came to faith. And I actually, I kind of claim that I'm a U2 fan, but as I was reading this article, I realized maybe I'm not as big of a U2 fan as I thought I was because there were things I learned. I did not know that Bono lost his mother back in 1974 before, the, his, uh, before U2 became popular. Um, and he talks about that experience in 1974 when he lost his mom and how God met him in the midst of losing his own mom and he experienced mercy. He experienced love. He experienced grace in the midst of that that led him on a journey that he says he's still on. <laughs> he's a pilgrim on this journey that he's been going on for years and years now. But what I found what was very interesting is he quoted the poet T.S. Eliot from his po- this poem called The Four Quartets, where T.S. Eliot says, we start at the end. We start at the end. In other words, when we get to a point where we experience so much disappointment and brokenness and heartache where we come to an end that God delights in giving us a beginning (laughs) and oddly that is the gospel that's the gospel friends that when you and I experience suffering that that is the path to joy (laughs) isn't that crazy isn't that Good news, joy came from his suffering. That's what Stephen Colbert has completely orient, oriented his whole career around. That's what Bono has, given, has uh, written all his music about. The fact that we start at the end. Maybe you feel like you're in at, at an end right now. <laughs> Village Church, maybe we feel like we're at an end. And I invite you to believe the good news of the gospel. To believe this song of Mary that even though, even no matter where you are, right now you can sing a song of joy because of what God has done for you and what he's done for us in the coming of Jesus into this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have this song, the Magnificat, that we can look at Mary and her suffering and she could sing a song of joy because you are a God of love, you are a God of mercy, and you are a God of justice. And that we can look at you and how you have acted in your world through the, especially the birth of your son. That you've heard the cries of your people and that Jesus, you have come to experience the suffering and the brokenness of this world. Help us to believe that you are a God of resurrection power. You are a God of incarnation power. Help us to believe that you want to bring new life into our lives and into this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Friends, we come now to a time where we continue to worship through the offering. This is a time for us to, uh, to give to the mission and vision of the church. Friends, we come now to a time where we continue to worship through communion. We're a time where we eat together, we drink together. Friends, this is a time where we can uh, remember that God remembers us. <laughs> he doesn't forget you. He has heard the cries of the world, and he's come to answer that cry in the person of Jesus. He's come to you. So this is an invitation for you as you, as you eat and as you drink to literally experience the remembrance of God for you, the fact that he remembers and he knows where you are in the midst of your unknown. He knows exactly what you're going through because he has come into this world and through his body, he's experienced the suffering of this world. Through his blood, he's experienced death. He's experienced all the pain and suffering of this world. We have a God who is that good. And so when we come to partake of this meal, we come to experience a God who is filled with love and mercy and justice so that we can go out into the world and embody his love. So friends, this is a mystery. Let's proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Friends, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good at all times and all places to give thanks and praise to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Jesus, we praise you that you did not leave us alone, but that you came to us, you arrived, that you came to us in the form of a child, weak and in need of care. Jesus, that you came to us in the flesh that you saw, you touched, you felt. You felt the pain in your own body. You know our sufferings. You know our brokenness. And you delight to give a mercy and justice. Spirit, we pray that as we partake of this meal together, that you would fill us up. <laughs> we are hungry, as the Mary sings. You filled the hungry. Lord, 
we pray that you would, where we are hungry in our lives, that you, we would be filled up with you, Jesus. Would you fill us up with yourself, Spirit? We pray that you would empower us and equip us, that you would, we would be nourished at this table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And when he given thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He said, drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Friends, we have a God who loves to give good gifts. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith and be thankful. We're going to do that in one station. You come forward, receive a gluten-free wafer. You can uh, dip it in the wine in the dark cup or the grape juice in the light cup. Friends, come as you are ready.